0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to another uh, Fight Network Wednesday night edition of Sports Conversation. Our normal group is with us tonight. Roy Cummings is in Tampa, Florida, and boy, can we talk about those lightning and what's happening there. Also, we got Roger Hendor in Atlanta. A lot of things happening with the world champion uh, uh, Atlanta Braves, as well as other things, the Falcons and so forth. But first of all, our executive producer, Frank Carroll, and, and uh, Coach, you got a little... Uh, a little dedication tonight and also a little sponsorship, and we'll get right into the show.
2: All right, Don. Thank you. Um, ladies and gentlemen, in, in uh, 2003, a young man graduated from uh, uh, Cardinal O'Hara High School in uh, uh, Marble Township, Springfield, Marble Township, uh, at Delaware County. Uh, he had been a member of the Mar- Marble Newtown Town uh, Fire Company as a volunteer from the time he was tw- uh, 16. Uh, he moved on through to uh, he went to Delaware County Community College, uh, graduated from there with a fire engineer's uh, degree. Uh, went on the Philadelphia Fire Department in 2006 as a uh, as a runner. Uh, moved quickly to a uh, driver, an uh, engineer as a called, and then to finally to the, um, the office of lieutenant. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't on the job that uh, Matt lost his life. Matt. Uh, Was uh, off. uh, He was painting his house. He uh, got the the, the whistle blew. He ran to the fire fire station um, where he he, he, where he was uh, had been elected uh, deputy chief. Uh, Took the time to go to the fire, and they were told that there was an elderly woman inside the house. Matt, without thinking, ran right in to see if he could get help the, the lady, and unfortunately the floor gave way, and Matt lost his life. Uh, this weekend, uh, the, uh, the class of 2006 or 2003 of uh, Bartle O'Hara High School will be dedicating a flagpole in his memory uh, at the school. So uh, to the family, you know, Matt, what, what a wonderful guy, uh, what a courageous guy, and uh, it was a credit to not only his family, but to the high school that he went to. Don?
1: All right, and uh, so we'll get right to the show and I uh, mentioned at the top uh, lightning, of course, with the big story over the weekend, back to the big story all of last week as he fell behind three to one and then came on to put on a dazzling show, and then of course, played again last night against the panthers and Roy Cummings, you're right there in Tampa, Florida, and uh, you're on the right on the front steps of what's going
0: on. They have really been outstanding. Yeah, they have uh they've certainly done what they need to do, uh, dispatching Toronto, which was a, a big task. I mean a lot of people thought this was and it it is. There's no question. This has been the best Toronto team that they've had in a long time. Uh probably going back to the Doug Gilmore days, uh back in the early nineties, mid nineties. Um, and uh it was uh, it was not an easy uh not an easy thing, but uh they, they were able to dispatch Toronto and now they've got Florida and the battle of the state here against the President's Cup uh, champions, the, uh, the the best team in the NHL in the regular season. And that won't be an easy uh, series either. It shouldn't be. But, um, you know, and I'm not going to say they made quick work up them the other night. Both teams looked like we were kind of skating in mud. I think they were both kind of feeling each other out, maybe both a little tired from uh, their first-round matchups, uh, which were kind of tough for both teams for sure. Um, the Lightning a little beat up, but still uh, finding a way to win. Uh, new stars seem to emerge for that team almost every night when they play, So, uh, and the same thing is happening again. So uh, quite an interesting uh, situation here with the Lightning uh, playing at a high level, obviously, and uh, doing the best that they can to, to get that 3 repeat
1: Well, before I go to Roger, one quick point. I, I agree with you 100% in last night's game, but although I did think that the Panthers came out a little bit stronger in the first 10 minutes of the first period. I think it took the Lightning uh, the second 10 minutes and the rest of the game uh, to finally get it and put it away. One quick note is the Rangers are now up 1-0 with about six minutes to go. I can't see the clock. About six minutes to go. uh, There it is, 535 to go in the first period. Roger, a lot of activity over the weekend. I don't know how much of the Lightning you had a chance to see uh, being in in Atlanta, but I'll tell you, it was something.
3: Yeah, hockey period was. And – Roy, I said to Frank earlier that uh, I have to uh, admit my uh, defeat uh, with the uh, Penguins uh, with that 3-1 lead, and the Rangers came back. I never thought it was going to happen. But what a what a game seven that was going OT. I mean, it, you, you couldn't ask for any more. And I did want, uh, when uh, talking about now you got the battle in Florida between uh, Miami and, and Tampa Bay, I uh, heard Keith Jones, uh, he picks uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, Miami, the Florida team, to, uh, to win uh, the uh, Eastern Conference, and
1: then anything can happen,
3: you know, uh, once you get to the Stanley Cup.
1: Well, everybody everybody yeah. in the post uh, picked the Rangers to win, I mean, uh, to lose any of the six games. I think one of the correspondents picked seven, but most of the writers in the post picked the Rangers to lose in six uh, and I'll tell you, I, I was—I uh, don't know whether Roy would agree with this or not—but I, I just thought to come out and win the first game last night. The light got off to, a, and I'll tell you, they got a one bit of a lucky break. In the fact, they got four officials on the ice, and they had a disallowed penalty because nobody saw the, the, uh, the net. Uh, Roy, how about that? They got a little bit of a break there. They finally got a chance to
0: challenge, and they got to win. Yeah, they did. Uh, look, you know they've got a great uh, video crew uh, led by Nigel Kerwan, who by the way, Nigel Kerwan, not very well known. Tommy certainly knows him, um, and he would be celebrating him as well. Uh, this, Nigel Kerwan has been with the uh, Lightning since the very beginning. In fact, he started off as a guy who uh, he, he was selling he was selling season ticket packages uh, for the team, but he had a hockey background or, and and uh, ended up on the coaching staff. Believe it or not. And he became the uh, their video uh, guy, and uh, he is the one kind of in charge of finding, seeing those things, uh, those uh, those offsides that um, are very hard to, to detect. And uh, last night, he was uh, he was the guy saying, "Hey, that puck hit the net. Uh, you got to challenge that," uh, and they got it done. So, yeah, a lot of ways to win hockey games, and um, the Lightning are proving it. Uh, the Stars not really coming out just yet for this team, and uh, one of them's missing in Braden Point, as we mentioned, but. And uh, Nikita Kucherov got a a goal last night, but still not necessarily the Stars winning for them right now, which is really a good sign. And I think one thing that's happened is they've kind of reestablished that third line, that checking line that can also score and give you problems with uh, Nick Paul and and, uh, uh, Brandon Hagel and uh, Ross Colton. They have really put together a solid third line, which if you've got three lines in the playoffs, Uh, You can be really tough, and of course, the Lightning have four good lines plus a great goaltender. And uh, you know, the feeling here in Tampa is they're kind of getting disrespected a little bit. As you mentioned, uh, guys that uh, Brian Jones has uh, uh, picked—he's picked Keith Jones rather has picked um, has picked the Panthers to win this. Uh, I don't think he's alone. I think a lot of people think the Panthers, and and you know what—they they they were the best team in the league uh, throughout through the course of the regular season, but. Uh, a lot of people seem to think that it's going to be tough for the Lightning to, to three-peat. It will be tough. Um, it just gets tougher from here because there's no easy teams ahead. Uh, that's for sure, And uh, no matter who they play. Um, but uh, the feeling here in Tampa is they've been disrespected a little bit for a two-time Stanley Cup champion um, that really doesn't, until Braden Point went down, doesn't really have any injury issues to worry about. So uh, we'll see where it goes. But um, as always, the, the Stanley Cup playoffs, guys, as we know, um it's, it's one of sports' greatest uh, little secrets. It uh, it never disappoints, no matter what.
1: Well, I'll tell you, fellas, I, I, I looked at that replay last night, and I, I'm, I'm getting old. My eyes aren't as good as they used to be. But I'll tell you, I, I, the, the four officials didn't see it, and they showed video replays it at least eight times, I think. And I still couldn't tell where they hit the net. Now, maybe you could, but I, I just couldn't. Uh, Roger? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm with you because uh,
3: everything uh, I saw, I couldn't uh, tell. And uh, like you said, uh, Don, you have four officials out there. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, if uh, they they don't uh, take action and they don't see it, uh, that's it. Uh, anytime, any game. Well, well of course, guys would, um, you're, you're, you're not alone. Them. I mean,
0: th- it has nothing to do with your eyesight. It, it was hard to detect, to detect, but. What happened was uh, the puck went above the glass. It got deflected uh, at, right at the goal, you know, by the goalie, and, and went above the glass. And people could see it go above the glass, and then it fell flat. So you clearly knew that it, it hit something behind the glass, uh, and then came back into play. So that was how they knew it was the way. It was actually the way the puck fell um, after it uh, after it went up in the air. Uh, the way it came down was how they determined really whether that it did hit because the, the the spot in the net where the puck hit was out of the range of um, of the cameras. So uh, uh, it was very hard to tell, but uh, it, it, they they got the call right. There's no doubt about that. Roger, the other thing you chatted about,
1: the uh, the Ranger game, and, of course, the way they came back and, and won it overtime. That was a, a terrific that was game as well. Uh, you know, uh, what, what a great weekend to uh, – to, to to watch hockey. I mean, it's just uh, every game. Uh, now, I didn't get to the West Coast games because there are a lot of times they're too late for me. But uh, the ones that I'm interested in, <laughs> you know, on the East Coast, and, and every game, so you'd be right down to the wire. Uh, you know, there were a couple of games where a differential in goals, you know, sort of gave you a mis idea how the game was played. A couple of open net goals and so forth, and you know, in the last minute or two minutes to make it a 5-2 game instead of a 3-2 game. And uh, but uh, to both of you fellows, I I just thought uh you you just couldn't get better hockey than we had over the weekend and and into last night and tonight. Well, you know,
3: one thing I wanted to say too, Don, when you look at the uh, all the pregame shows and uh, you see the teams coming into the arena, going into the locker room. You know, it, what impresses me is we always talk in, especially in football about, uh, when the, uh, the NFL teams go on the road, it's a business trip. Well, what impresses me about most of the, of the NHL players, when they show up at the arena, it is a business trip. They're dressed professionally, not like some of these guys that you don't know if they just woke up and or they just stepped, uh, you know, out of working out, cutting the lawn or something. And uh, I was really impressed with what I saw with, uh, and it was every team in all those pregame shows uh, over the weekend. That's just my opinion.
1: And I'll tell you, the biggest disappointment to me really uh, starting last week was the NBA playoffs. I mean, the the 76ers threw a lemon out there, uh, down by 20 points in the championship game in game seven. And then you followed that with a game where, 27 points were scored by Phoenix in the first half. 27 points. Three of us can score 27 points. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. I know Roy, you're not a big into the NBA. Uh, I'm not as big as I used to be, but I love the playoffs. But I want to tell you, they got to be a little disappointed in the product
0: they're putting on the, on TV right now. Yeah, I got to think they are. Look, I did pay very close attention to the uh, the Memphis uh, Golden State series and the series with Memphis before that um just because i i have a little bit of a vested interest my brother is a season ticket holder he lives in memphis and the grizzlies obviously are one of the better stories in sports this year you know a very young team uh kind of, kind of coming out of nowhere and uh and arguably you know one of the best teams in the nba during the regular season um so i did you know pay some attention to it and uh you know i got to say that uh uh you're right i mean it just seems like in the nba even in the playoffs um Teams just you know some every it seems like every team uh there, now I may be I may be exaggerating there but uh, maybe not every team but uh, the majority of the teams seem to take at least one night off during the playoffs and just say okay well we're, 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 they just what, for whatever reason or it's it, I mean that's the way it looks at the end of the at the end of the day you know at the end of the game and when you when teams win by 42 points and as you said, some teams scoring 27 points and a half. I mean, in the playoffs, it's just um, – Game seven. Like, some, Game seven yeah. they did that. Yeah. And the just, Sixers it, it, took a couple of nights off, Roy. I agree with you. <laughs> and the Sixers yeah, and, and took just, several nights off. You don't see that in the NHL. You just don't see that in the NHL. No, no right. Nobody takes a night off. and. Nope. Um, it just seems like sometimes and, – and the other thing about the NBA is, you know, they've got plenty of time between games. I mean, they'll go yes. three, four nights between games sometimes. That's right. So it's not yep. like these guys are, uh, you know, they're, they're really tired or anything. But, uh, no, I've, I've always noticed that, that if for whatever Ooh. reason, hey. the, the NBA, until you really get down to the finals, maybe the semis and, and, then, the, uh, and then the finals, the intensity level just isn't consistent, uh, whereas with the NHL – uh, a first-round series with a one-seed versus an eight—the uh, intensity level is is at the max for everybody, and it's why uh, I think you have so many upsets in the NHL and why it's so hard to predict. You know, uh, uh, predictions are great, but um, they don't really mean much because I'll tell you what—anybody could win. And uh, uh, you know, you say that uh, it looks like some, most people have the Rangers losing in six. Well, that could very well happen. I would say the Carolina is probably the better team right now. A little bit more experience in the playoffs, which is important. But uh, the Rangers are a team that going into the playoffs nobody wanted to face, and uh, Pittsburgh found out why, even though they gave them as good a series as you can. So, uh, and, and Don, you're right. Uh, you know, the, the weekend was just you know chock full of you know five game sevens in the NHL. It really doesn't get any better than that in terms no. of playoff hockey. Huh? So, absolutely uh, we're not. we that. Not. We may get you know what we might get four more uh, in these series because they're that tight. And I'll well, say, Commissioner Silver, he's been on a number of times and I'm sure
1: you fellows have seen him too, both on ESPN and on national TV. And uh, the major story, of course, uh, last Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, was that you know the revenue uh, and the attendance has been down in the NBA, and also the fact that they've all raised their prices to compensate for the fact of yeah. well, the money they're not getting. Well, that, that's not a good sign going into the no. playoffs. You, you know, you're using a lot of reporters. To right how the game tennis is so good and they're raising all the prices they get to get you know make up the money i mean that to me that's a bad sign
2: no that's it's a very bad an inflationary, sign inflationary
0: uh, you know environment guys it just right. doesn't make money. you know you know that uh, you know inflation is up and uh, some people are you know obviously everybody's spending more on groceries gas whatever it is uh you know rents things like that i'm not sure this is the time when major league sports needs to be uh, increasing their prices and trying to make back what they lost during the pandemic not not the time to be doing it so uh you know definitely question the business model there i understand their desire to to make profits but they're going to make their profit eventually and uh i think the way to go about it is to uh, uh invite more people in and get the money in, in a different way through uh, souvenirs and hot dogs and you know soda and that kind of thing but uh, you know, hey, I'm not an executive. There's a reason they are. But uh, I think they missed the mark on that. Well, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, talk, talk, we'll I heard, talk, uh, ahead, I heard Bob Ryan uh, uh, the other day, guys,
3: uh, on uh, uh, Mad Dog, Chris Russo's show. Uh, and it was interesting. Uh, you know, if the Warriors and the Celtics meet in the championship series, do you realize that will be the first time that those two teams have met since it was the Philadelphia Warriors? Of course, you didn't have, you know, the divisions uh, conferences set up in those days. The, the, the Philadelphia Warriors with Wilt and uh, the uh, that team back in, um, uh, that would have been like uh, the 1959-60, I think, Tom Sherry. Because right. as I remember, Don, if Tom McSherry hits that jump shot, the Sixer, the uh, Warriors would have knocked the uh, Celtics off the perch, and that would have stopped their winning streak.
1: Yeah, they had their shots right on through. And uh, for some reason, even L.A. had their shots against them. But the, somehow Red Auerbach always seemed to find a way to win. Uh, he had players that uh, you talk, we talked about the way the NBA is right now. I mean, I don't think you could look at one player on the Celtic team. And, I mean, I the games for 10 years. I don't think you could find one player that threw the talent. That didn't give you 110% in every single game. Well, that's what
3: was great about the NBA. And, of course, that's before your time, uh, Roy. Uh, you know, when it was really in its infancy in many in many ways, you know. And it was totally different. And that's when I enjoyed it. For years and years, I went to games. You know, Warriors and then the Sixers. And we were devastated when the Warriors moved. And we had like a, I think it was a USL or something team for a, a year until the Syracuse Nationals moved from Syracuse and became the 76ers. But but the NBA today, I can't handle I mean, Don, you you like it? You can handle the playoffs. I can't even do that.
4: The only thing <laughs> I
3: like is Charles Barkley because he's uh, candid and honest, and he uh, calls it like it is. As far as guys taking it, uh, taking not only teams but individuals taking time off during a, the uh, during yeah, the game.
1: He, he had to take the heat the other night when the Phoenix <laughs> was playing Game Seven and. Uh, you know, he lives in, even though he still lives in Philadelphia a lot of the time, primarily he lives out in Arizona, and, uh, you know, he uh, he thought that Phoenix was going to really put on a great show, and he really had to eat some crow at halftime, and then, of course, when the game was over. But one other thing I'd just like to throw in, because we're talking about all different things, uh, not spent a lot of time talking about golf, but the major story in the papers today, the New York Post especially, was the uh, first time they met in Oklahoma City at the uh, you know they moved the tournament there because it was supposed to be uh, at uh, Donald Trump's uh, course in New Jersey, but because of the difficulty, uh, they canceled him out and moved it out to uh, to Oklahoma. And uh, but the, the interesting was uh, and the big story today, other than the fact that Tiger is in much better shape than he was uh, for the Masters, it was the fact that soda 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 cost you eighteen dollars at the PGA, oh, and my the players God. the players were saying. I can't believe it. you're trying to get people to come in to watch the tournament, and you're charging eighteen dollars for a soda.
0: Unbelievable! Boy, oh boy, that's nuts. That's crazy. Man, oh man. Yeah, that's no wonder that's a story. Eighteen dollars for a soda. That must be, that better be at least a gallon of soda, and it must be un, it better be unlimited uh, refills. That better be the big gulp, right, at uh, (laughs) 7-Eleven?
1: Right. I'll tell you, Thomas was the one that was the most outspoken. He said, how can you you expect people to come in there and pay them money to see a tournament and then have to pay $18 for a drink?
3: Well, you know, that's a perfect example
1: about why the Masters
3: is so well received and and, uh, respected. Because all of the concession prices are realistic. The the, uh, treatment of the fans is great. You know, and that's what you need to have in a tournament like this, especially because Oklahoma City got it as a default city, okay? It wasn't, like you said, Don, it wasn't supposed to be there. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of other courses throughout the country that would love to have had this tournament.
1: Oh, no question about it. They're, they're really so happy to get it at it. If they don't really get many tournaments in Oklahoma, it's been a while since it's been there. And uh, so, uh, but Steve Cancela is ready to go. I know you know him as well or better than we do, Roy. Uh, once again, a great first half hour. We jumped all over the all over the scoreboard with sports, but just a lot of fun. Thank you very
0: much. Thanks for having me, Steve. Take it away. Hey, Roy. Thanks hey, a
3: great day
1: with week. Take care. Thanks a lot, as always. Great. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, Steve Kinsella, We're going to let you get started here today because. I've been waiting for you all day. I, I You
4: know, <laughs> I,
1: I love it. I love it when you come on because I think America has finally started, at least let me put it this way. In my view, America is finally learning that the game that we saw in the 60s and 70s and even into the 80s, they're stealing bases. They're hitting runs. They're hitting to the opposite field. They're trying to play the game the way it should be played. Now, Amen. if I could have, if I could have, Seven, not eight, seven Jeff McDeals on my team. I would play anybody in baseball 162 games, and I'd beat them by ten. Go ahead. Well,
5: yeah, that's, that, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Baseball's been a snore fest. I think they finally got rid of that slog ball, and we can go back to what's, what's entertaining the fans. Cause Chick- yeah, Chick- I mean, I that's that's another thing I wanted to bring fans. up.
1: To, uh, uh, the next sentence was I think they're giving us a little bit of a job in baseball. I think they're mixing the balls up. I don't think they're all the same balls. Because some of them go out no, of the ballpark big time, and some of them just make it to the fence. I think they're rotating balls. I may be 100% wrong, but I watch a lot of games, and I watch a lot of balls hit, and they don't all go out. Sometimes they go way out, like last night with Judge. Sometimes they just get to the fence.
5: Yeah, you know, we, you know like Eric as of the Mets had said, We have data now that shows what balls should be going out and have gone out. Major League Baseball toyed with the game to try to, you know, get it back to the 70s and 80s, what I call snore ball. And uh, what you enjoy, I understand that. I call it a boring game. And um, they tried to sneak it by everybody, you know, putting this ball in there that just didn't leave the park. And they realized rather quickly that the game is just really boring when the ball doesn't leave the park outfielders are just way too athletic now. You hit a ball in the gap, yay. Well, the, the guy's going to run it down if it doesn't, you know, go to the wall or go over the wall. I mean, you don't have guys like Greg Luzinski manning right field anymore, you know, just standing out there and can move 10 feet if the ball drops. You know, you've got guys like Brett Phillips or Manuel Margot or Kevin Kiermaier can come down here in Tampa Bay. These are the guys I'm referencing. Well, you had Schwarber you know.
1: last night. I don't know whether you saw Schwarber make that outstanding play in left field for the Phillies. <laughs>
5: the Phillies are the Phillies are still an odd team they're not going to win until they improve their defense They can try to out muscle, but uh you know the bullpen and defense the two areas that I've been telling you guys they needed to shore up. Um, I like the moves they made offensively, but uh, until you get a until they take care of the defense and the bull, and the back end of that bullpen, hey listen guys, I wouldn't went in to talk to you too. I got to tell you that was one of the most enjoyable series of the year for both of us. Um, and I say us meaning the people that like the smaller type ball and the people that like the long ball that Dodgers and Phillies series was so entertaining I love the Phillies beating the shift with the bunt Um, you know the Dodgers had no defense against it Um, I did not like uh, Kniebel blowing the game you know I wanted neither neither did I yeah but come on that was an entertaining that was an entertaining four game series now I listen to it. When I go to bed, I usually have the Dodgers on the radio, on the on the uh, audio broadcast. So I listen to three games, and I watch the fourth game. And uh, that, to me, was one of the more entertaining series of the year. Roger? I agree.
3: No, I agree totally. And uh, let me make one correction, Steve. Greg Luzinski played left field, not right
5: field. Uh, I'm sorry. I was I was a little young. I'm sorry. Was that Bake McBride out there in right field at the time? No, yeah, Bake McBride was in
1: Roger, right field. Roger, Roger, I was gonna let Madden. him go on that. I I wasn't gonna call him on that little <laughs> mistake. I was,
5: that, guys. I was I was eight years old.
1: <laughs> well, well, nobody can just, you forget know, Greg dropping that ball against the Dodgers <laughs> because they forgot to take <laughs> him out in left field in Nice City. Put Jerry no,
3: Martin in. Yeah.
1: Nobody will ever. Nobody will ever forget that. Just like the 64 mm-hmm. Phillies. But, yeah.
3: <laughs> excuse me, Steve, you know, what I did want to talk about, I agree with you uh, totally about the defense on the Phillies. And the other thing is now uh, with uh, uh, Harper out. And, I mean, uh, supposedly he's going to come back and I think be able to DH, but it, that that may be for two months. And that hurts them in uh, right field. The, the other thing that I am hoping is, uh, that uh, Mickey Moniak, uh, who was really mm-hmm. starting to develop, you know, after mm-hmm. all these years, uh, that uh, and then he gets uh, hit on the wrist and uh, breaks his <laughs> wrist on that pitch. You talked about that, I think, the last time you were on.
4: Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh,
3: he uh, and I think uh, he should be back uh, very shortly, and I think that should uh, do a better job in center field. I mean, you know, a Roman Quinn can patrol center field but he can't hit and he gets hurt but i think that uh, hopefully moniac uh you know might help but they do need uh they need help in the, on defense there's no doubt about it
5: and yeah, the bullpen it's funny guys and the it, bullpen absolutely yeah. yeah sometimes it's just a small shift where you have to finally recognize you know i'll give you the other team the Phillies, I've told you, I like them. They're a good team. I'm watching them right now, by the way. They're up 2 nothing over Blake Snell and the Padres. I'm watching the game. I got it on.
3: Yeah, Wheeler's
5: um, pitching tonight. He looks beautiful. I love the way he pitches. But an example of accepting where you are and making the small change, the Yankees this offseason, they could not return Gary Sanchez and Glaber Torres at short. Uh, now, that's not the reason that they're playing lights out baseball right now. I'm not going to say that's the reason. But Gary Sanchez is just an absolute horrible catcher when it comes to calling the game, blocking balls in the dirt, and keeping the momentum going for your pitcher for controlling the running game. And whatever happened to Glaber Torres, guys, it's the biggest mystery around. His bat went away, and so did his mobility at shortstop. And the Yankees recognize this. Uh, they went out there and got Kyner Falafa and Josh Donaldson and, you know, they, they replaced uh, Gary Sanchez. Now, you lose some power and some offense uh, from the position. But that team is much better off now by taking care of those two little things. And then you say Mickey Moniak may be a big, big boost. Now, I'm hoping Bryce Harper's back in the next day or two. I know he won't be in the outfield. Um, yeah. You know, he I think, th- I think tomorrow. Well, so yeah, so he got the shot yesterday.
1: Today.
3: You got the shot yesterday. I'm sorry? Yesterday. What was that, Don?
1: He got the shot in the elbow yesterday. Yeah,
3: he got the yeah. Well, he got the shot. I think uh, when they were on the West Coast, I think it was Sunday, yeah. and yeah. and they it, said it would take several days because I think the the uh, expert giving that shot, what is it, PSD or something like that? Uh, the PRP, PR, PR yeah, platelet platelet rich yeah. plasma. Yeah, he the uh, the
5: expert was on the West Coast. That's why they did it while they were there. Yeah, the, um, it was funny listening to the broadcast with uh, Rick Monday the other day. You know, they were doing the, were doing the game four of the Dodgers in the broadcast, and Monday said, yeah, Bryce Harper's out of the lineup today. He was getting his PRP injection. He said he's trying to get an address to send him a get-well basket and thank him for missing the game.
4: Steve <laughs> let me ask
1: you this Because you keep stats on almost everything Whether it's minor league baseball, major league baseball And I, I, I think last year We spent a number of shows talking about Briefly the catching area Not only Sanchez But my feeling is Whoever decided that these catchers Should now catch with one knee And lay uh, lay their leg out on the ground I mean I don't understand How you could expect your catcher to have that kind of mobility and not get the number of pass balls that we saw all of last year, not just Sanchez, but all of baseball last year. Every time you went to a game or saw a game on television, one pass ball after another. The, the Mets won a game yesterday because of a pass ball that was right there. I mean, it, was, it, it didn't even hit the ground. It was to be between the ground and his glove. And the Mets came back. Well, I shouldn't sure say they won. They lost the game in 10 innings. But they tied the game, I should say, in the ninth inning because of that. What do you, what's your? Have you any numbers or anything about these guys that are catching with one leg down on the ground? Yeah, Malina I can tell you too, right, right now
5: from, from a, from a conversation. That. Yeah, I, I, I can tell you. Well, Molina does it because he's a little bit older now. Um uh, and it, it, he's trying to save his knees for the year. But I just had a conversation with an umpire, um, uh, you know, and we were talking about this exact topic. And a couple of things he had pointed out was umpires are tired of getting hit. It's uh, it's more than just the knee being down. They're tired of getting hit. Every game they're getting hit right. um, by a fall. And one thing is where the knee goes down and the leg back, that's where the umpire used to like to put their one leg under the catcher. So uh, you, you are right. It is annoying. What it is, what, what has happened is if you have a catcher that has a decent enough bat and you're trying to keep him behind the plate, they have to catch with the one leg down. They can't go into the standard catching position or you're just going to be dead. The, the catcher is going to be dead. He's not going to steal strikes. He's not going to be able to control the running game. Um, he's out of his element. And if you try to move him from behind the plate, then you're going to be, you know, that's a longer process. So to make to kind of balance that out, guys like Gary Sanchez drop the knee down so they can do all the other parts of catching uh, that that pitchers like and that you know controlling helping control the running game.
1: Well, you, you take strike. away
5: totally their mobility,
1: especially if, if there's a left hand batter do. up, for instance. You know, you you do. they can't they can't move
5: to the left,
6: they can't
1: move to the right,
5: they they can only go one way. Right. But these are catchers that are horrible defensive catchers no matter how they sit. So it, it, it would say you break catching down into three to four components, and you can either be bad in four components or be bad in one component. They've made the decision to be bad in one component and average to above average in three. So that's kind of like you, you've got your pass ball, but then you've got your stealing strikes, controlling a running game, and keeping the flow of the game going from where you are. They've decided that the three of the four is where they're going to go, and the one out of four, the fast ball and stuff, is is what they'll accept. The teams are going to accept. The doing them. business, in other words. It, 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 yeah, it, if, when we get to the electronic umpires in a couple of years, which we will be going to, um, uh, that will come to Major League Baseball at some point. I, even the umpires are are looking forward to. It. Um, Keith Hernandez talked about that
1: last night because there were so many close balls and strikes called that I came with the Cardinals and Mets last night. And they got to the seventh, I remember was the seventh or eighth inning. And Keith Hernandez said after all this controversy about the balls, well, he said, don't worry about it. Five years, there'll be robots to take care of this. We don't have to worry about it anymore. He said, there won't be a game. Then there'll be a bunch of robots out there.
5: (laughs) Yes. Well, the the, technology has been being used in the minor leagues and tested in. Um, from who I've talked to about the, you know, from the umpires perspective, um, over the last three years of testing, it's gotten much, much better. The umpires are on board. That's the main thing you need to understand, or not you need to understand, but we as fans need to understand is the umpires are on board with this. Uh, the umpires are looking forward to having this um, technology enter the game as long as they're, they're not the testing ground. Major League Baseball and the umpires can't be the testing ground, so starting this off in the minor league and honing it now for three years of technology and all that...
0: How's it, it working?
5: Started... What's that? How How's is it, it working? working? They're, they're, it's much better. The guy I talked to um, has said that three years ago, it was very rough. The entire process, the calibration per batter, the the actual feel for it was rough but it's, it's gotten considerably, considerably better over three years. Now a lot of people are extremely happy with the flow that it provides, you know, that it's effortless. You know, you're not going to have a robot. The umpire is still going to make the call and all that. You know, we're not gonna, the fan in the stands is still going to see an umpire say ball or strike. Roger? Well, yeah, the uh, – I can understand why
3: they uh, would be happy, see? Because then they they won't have to uh, answer a lot of questions to the media, if nothing else, and and you know and take fans abuse
5: and everything.
3: But uh, do, do you think it's going to be
5: five years or is it more like two to three? I'm going to say more like two to three. The way the technology is, from what I what I what I, the discussion I had with the buy in from the umpires and the satisfaction that they've been they've been using this in the minor leagues and. and and perfecting it for a couple of years, um, the umpires are happy. The other thing that, just to, just to give you an idea of something that surprised me, uh, umpires actually like re- instant replay, and they don't like when a team loses its challenge. They'd rather have a team have the challenge for the entire game because it makes their life a lot easier as the game goes on, knowing that if there's a, cl- a close, controversial play, that you can go to replay and have replay be the villain or the hero without them having to do it. And they actually like replay, which kind of surprised me.
1: About that, that would have, would have surprised me a little bit, too, to be honest with you. I, Although I will say this, that, uh, you know, I don't go for the ones where you're stealing a base and you come off by a quarter of an inch of it the, and, and they call you out. I think, I think that's over replay. But I have to say that the majority of the replays as I watch them, you may
5: count me wrong on this, the umpires are right. The umpires are right. Well, that's because, you know, a lot of times if you hear that the call stands, there's just not evidence to overturn it.
4: Right. You know, and right. a lot
5: of calls, it's about one-third right, one-third wrong, and one-third stands. So how do you want to parse that out? You know, I didn't think it would be way, that close. Uh, that surprised me. I wouldn't have thought it was that close. Well, remember, a call stand just means there's not evidence to overturn the decision the umpire. So, if you want to take a bucket of call stands and put them into the umpire being right, now you're at two-thirds of the time the umpire's right, and one-third of the time the umpire's wrong, <laughs> you know? so But, hey, listen, one other thing real quick, guys, talking about instant replay, if I may interject quickly. There was Whatever you like, my boy, <laughs> you're our guest.
1: You're, you're
5: on. <laughs> <laughs> Since we're talking umpires, I wanted to, you know, this is kind of funny. So, you know, the other night, I was watching the Lightning game, and uh Alex Kaloran got clobbered by uh, one of the Florida players. And from Toronto, they called down and said, hey, kaloran has got to get off the ice and go into concussion protocol. So there was no challenge or anything. They just stopped the game, and that was that happened. I say this because today, during the Rays game, there was an unchallengeable play that all four umpires missed that if you guys saw this play or you will see it, You'd say, how is that just simply not the intent of instant replay to have somebody in New York call down and say, hey, stop the game. You guys blew it. All right, so you got a batter in the box. He hits the ball. Now, if if it would have hit his toe and gone into fair territory, I wouldn't be telling you this story. The ball hit his quad, okay, and then scooted down the left field line or or down the the third baseline. And, of course, the Rays said, well, we'll just, you know, let's, let's see if the ball goes uh, you know, the foul or whatever, they pick it up, the umpire called it a base hit. So Kevin Cash comes out. Yeah, Kevin Cash comes And it hit, is, and his hit. hit his quad, you said, right? It hit his quad, not his toe or his knee or anything that right. kind of like quad and change direction,
3: All mm-hmm.
5: all right? And believe it or not, it's not, it's not a challengeable play. None of the four umpires saw it hit his quad, which is hard to believe that you could ever miss the ball. You know, these guys, you know, if it grazes you, it's hit by pitch. You know, this guy hit the ball directly off his quad muscle and then into fair territory. But New York, they don't have a system in Major League Baseball that, you know, people watching the game, they can just, you know, immediately buzz an umpire and say, whoa, stop, you guys missed that one completely. I mean, that, that just surprised me that that's not challengeable nor is there any way if four umpires, four sets of eyes, miss, nobody on base to distract anybody, (laughs) you know? Yeah.
1: Well, that's the same thing happened in the lightning game. We were talking about it with uh, Roy, uh, you know, four officials were on the ice last night. None of them saw the play. Finally, the video replay showed that they could make the challenge, and Cooper did and won. Otherwise, it would have been a 2-2 game at that point instead of being, say, 2-1. And uh, but hey. none of the four officials saw that the the ball uh, or the ball that, that the puck was either over the net or hit the net or whatever happened uh, because even a replay on television I couldn't tell what happened. I, but Steve, but, let's yeah. get, let's ask you a little bit about the uh, the Rays because uh, they they uh, they're still playing well. Uh, give us a little bit of your you see every almost every game. Give us a little bit of an evaluation of where Cash and, and the Rays are right now.
5: They pitch well. Uh, the offense is even though they're sixth in the American League and run scored per game, the offense is spotty. It's up and down. Um, right now they don't have Brandon Lau, they don't have Manuel Margot. Um, I think the defense being spotty is, is the Rays are back to playing very good defense, which they weren't early. So pitching and defense um, are still carrying them. The offense, when they when they erupt, they do a nice job of like the other team. But they still have the ability to win the two to one, three to two, you know, four to two games. Um uh, they they right now they like I say, uh they've got a number of guys uh that are really struggling like going into the day. I think like G Man Choi is in like a one for a one or two for twenty five. Uh Wander Frankel is in like a three for thirty five, Brett Phillips I and mean, he just came out of it. Um uh there's uh, like uh Tyler Walls is in a, is in like a two for thirty. So you go through the lineup, Uh, Vidal Brujan, like three for his last 30. So you go through the lineup right now. Uh, Zunino is also struggling like four or five guys in the lineup are really pitching and defense are keeping the games down. Um, And Detroit's pitching staff uh, the last two days got lit up by the Rays offense, which is good to see, but moving forward against some better pitching, the Rays are going to struggle to score runs. So the, the, Margin they're going to have for victory is going to be very narrow. Um, but, you know, they they got some help on the horizon on the pitching side, but they really need these bats to heat up. They need Arena to get to being who he is. They need Wander Franco to get back to being who he is and G-Man Choi to start heating up. That way they can absorb the absence of Brandon Lau and Manuel Marco. Roger? Yeah, I, I heard some guys uh, on MLB uh, radio
3: uh, Steve, talking about the uh, race exactly what uh, you were saying about what they need and who they need to have come back and uh, and uh, the uh, the one the, what was the picture uh, that you were talking about that uh, the uh, they he's he's not doing what they expected. I forget uh, who it was. You're there, and you see it all the time, but uh, that was the consensus. I think it was Brad Lidge and uh that was on uh when i was listening to it and uh they really had a, a good assessment but they think that the rays will turn it around and uh and really be uh, really compete you know as, as the season progresses
5: well i hope so they're they're 23 and 15 so i hope they can turn it around and and, and keep building on a 23 and 15 start uh, more consistency guys you know in my book they need one more They need a power arm in the bullpen. They don't have enough strikeouts right now in the bullpen. Uh, I would like another starter. Shane Maas is on his way back, and that will help uh, the rotation because they're a little bit thin in the rotation. Um, And, of course, they need another big bat. They have three things that they can get either off the injury list, return from injury, or the trade deadline at the time. A big right-handed bat will probably be one of the big things that they're looking for near the trade deadline. Um, but those are the. If I was to rank the three that they need a power arm, they can get swing and miss in the bullpen, um, would be paramount for me. A big bat would be second. And when you've got uh, you've got uh, Shane Boz coming back, uh, and you've got um, you know six starters right now with Boz coming back, that would be where I would start. And then I would hope Luis Castillo could come back and either fill in at that big arm in the bullpen, or join the rotation at some point. So that's just kind of what I'm looking for. And then Yanni Torinos on the back end of the year, Nick Anderson and Pete Fairbanks are also guys that are, are due back in late June, July. You, you start. The, there's your swing and miss guys in the bullpen. There's your starters. But, you know, for me, I would like to see them go out and maybe get a montage from Oakland and a bat from somewhere at the trade deadline. Steve, you I'll
1: know. say, I watched the Phillies game show last night. I wanted to ask Roger a question, too, after this, but I uh, watched the Phillies' post-game show, and that's exactly what they harped on, the fact that, you know, Joe Girardi just doesn't have any kind of consistency in the bullpen, and they just they, they suffer and suffer and suffer, and uh, they're going to make some moves before the trading deadline because they've got to build the, the the bullpen if they want to contend in the second half of the season. Well, that's all well and good to say, just like you're saying, but, you know, you've got to you got to have material to do that. I mean, you got to, you know, the Braves made great moves at the end of last year, and uh, at the training deadline. Uh, the, the Phillies really didn't do anything in the preseason before it started with spring training. They didn't do anything at the training deadline to help themselves last year.
5: Well, you know, where are these players going to come from? Everybody needs help in the bullpen. Well, I can answer a little bit of that since the Rays seem to do it all the time. You you go and last year, the Rays took a guy named Michael Plassmeyer, who was like a, um, a journey, kind of a, kind of a not really a prospect uh out of their system, you know, right. a pitcher. And they went and got Matt Whistler who's in his second year with the team and is doing a wonderful job um that bullpen. Uh they go out there and they trade their catcher Ronaldo Hernandez and they get Jeffrey Springs and they get uh um uh Chris Mazza. Now Jeffrey Springs is actually converting to a starting pitcher. They took Willie Adams and they traded him for JP Fiarton and um Drew Rasmussen. Now, Drew Rasmussen looks beautiful in the rotation, and Fireson looks great in the bullpen. So you have to have good scouting. And what you guys are saying, I've been saying it for two years, consistency in the bullpen makes a manager. If you're Joe Girardi, and one night you go get Corey Knabel, and he's good, and then you go get him the next night, and he's not good, and the ratio is 50, then your manager looks stupid more often than not and fans and media will say why did you go get this guy why didn't you get that guy I mean you guys have the perfect case uh you went out and got Jose Alvarado now when that guy's on we, we all agree when he's on he's electric right you know? but if you can tell me more which, than all. if you could tell me which one you're going to get but <laughs> when you go to the bullpen uh, you know and that's one of the reasons the Rays moved him it's one of the reasons they moved Diego Castillo I mean, look at what the Rays did last year. They took one of their better relievers, Diego Castilla, right? And they traded him for a reliever and a prospect at the deadline while going to try to win a World Series. Well, well
3: Alvarado the last week, he came in, didn't get anybody out. And it was all basically at walks.
5: On I that watched game. it, it was bad.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, he what did he do? The three batters and uh Joe, how to take him out? I will tell you the the what I hear in Philadelphia talking to you know people that get to see the, all the games. Don, you get to see them now. They the the consensus is that the team does not have a spark, somebody to light a fuse on that team, and Joe is not doing it. You know, and uh, we were talking about it uh, the other day about uh, well, last week I guess it was. About uh what was it? Billy brought up Don about Bruce Bochy. Okay, you know that they, uh, they're talking about him replacing Joe, and uh I, I don't think Joe's going to make it through the season. I mean, he's on the last year of the contract.
1: Well, let broadcast. me say, Roger, I agree with what Steve <laughs> just said a minute ago. You know, if you—he's been through two years now, where he absolutely can't even go to the ball. He, he has to be a. He has to be, have a gun to his head to go to that bullpen. I mean, they can't do anything consistently. And even when they got last year, came all the way back, and, it was, you know, the Braves were struggling. They came all the way back, and they got virtually, you know, in a, in a tie with, with, the, with the Braves. Then the whole season fell apart. Why? Because they had no bullpen. And well, they rebuilt
3: it this year, Don. You're right. Yeah, but they, they didn't rebuild it with problems. anything. But where do you – like your question was, where
5: do you go?
3: To get well, that's guaranteed. why
5: I'm asking Steve, because he keeps yeah. the numbers. I don't sure. keep the numbers.
1: Right. Well, Steve. let's take
5: a look, guys. Let's talk about another manager that was crucified in, in Philadelphia for his bullpen management. And he went to San Francisco, and it rebuilt his bullpen three times already. <laughs> you know? And it, 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 it's a matter of, You you have to be able to go get consistent guys and have a philosophy, and I don't know what the answer is for Philadelphia. I know Dombrowski said, you know, he he used Tampa Bay as an example. We have to find out how an organization like the Rays continues to develop relievers, and we can't, you know, because it's not going out. Like, you know, it's not going out. Like when the Rays a couple years ago went and got Sergio Romo with a five and a half ERA when he was released by the Giants, and he comes to Tampa Bay and he lights out the rest of the year, you know. You can't really explain that, you know. And, You're and the right ratings, there. You know, and we can bring up more, more guys um, in the bullpen. So I don't know what the answer is, but the answer is you have to go and have an organizational philosophy and go get guys and somehow uh, – Maybe have a shorter lease on some of these guys. I feel bad for Girardi. I tell you guys, I watch the Phillies. This is my fourth game in a row, or fifth game now, of watching the Phillies.
3: Hey, listen, and I'm a Girardi.
1: I'm a Girardi. I know, I know, Roger's is not a Girardi staple, but I am. He, no, I, I was. was. I thought he no, did a I great was, job with uh, the Yankees. I thought he, I, but he, he's hamstrung. He can't do anything no, in Philadelphia. No,
3: no, there's more to it
1: than that. I, I
3: listen. I was, I was very happy. When when the Phillies hired him, yeah, Kavler, I can't stand. And uh, I will say, what the other thing about Kavler and Klentak that I will never forgive them—they destroyed Kingry, Scott Kingry. They destroyed him mentally and physically by moving him around as a kid, and then they gave him the uh, contract and they was expected so much. And I was looking at the Lehigh Valley because I follow him. And I follow the Phillies' farm system. He's hitting 250. And, you know, he's on a minor league contract. I will never forgive them. That kid had all the potential in the world. You put him at second base, you don't get Gene Segura, and, he, you know, he'd probably still be in the big leagues today, okay, because he, he got off to a great start, but they moved him around. But I was the Joe Jordan. Yeah, but the are
1: a pretty good player, Roger. I mean, I, I, I like to have him on my team. He hits 295 to 305, it steals a few bases, plays pretty good defense. They, they,
3: I they, like They him. didn't need him. They could have gotten somebody else. They signed him as a free agent, I think. Or the, I don't know if it was a trade. But here's the other thing, Steve, about Joe. They want Everybody wants him out of the binder. All you do is see him in the binder. Okay do something on your own mind you know your gut feeling that's what i see brian Snicker does i don't
5: see him in a binder with the braves that's my my take on it brian snicker is one of the he's one of the most analytically minded guys he has he has a tablet he doesn't use a binder he has a tablet joe uses a binder he uses a tablet yeah but i don't see him on a tablet I don't see him. Uh, games are in Atlanta, right, I wouldn't use Atlanta right now as a as a case for, you know, for anybody. I mean, last year they got extremely lucky. You mentioned the trades at the deadline. Most of the guys they picked up at the deadline were having god-awful seasons and were brought in by necessity except for Adam uh, Duvall. Soler was useless in Kansas City, and uh, at, uh, what's his name? Rosario was on the injured list three or four weeks after they got him and hadn't performed in Cleveland all year. Um, if you look at his numbers, he was he was hitting around a buck ninety or two fifteen when they picked him up. Um you know, Atlanta got you know, they, they got the ultimate luck. They got hot they at do. the right time. They, did a, that. they did a they did like nineteen ninety seven Cleveland Indians who were like won eighty seven games and ended up in game seven of the World Series somehow. Um 2017 and now you, Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. There Super Bowl. hey, there you go but i mean i want, i went laud Brian snicker as a as a uh uh right now at this point in the season i mean the the atlanta braves if you if you go relative a world series they're one of the most underperforming teams in baseball right now they are if you use the pinnacle of the world series but um i get what you guys are saying i, I made a comment on another radio show recently that Um, You know, and I'm just going to give you guys a a little bit of honesty. I did put Joe Girardi on the hot seat if Philadelphia doesn't show some signs of life. Um, I watch a lot of baseball. and You guys know I'm not just a raised guy. Like I tell you, I'm watching the Padres and Phillies right now. I listen to the Dodgers. I watch games all day. And uh, last year, you know, the the two managers that I put on the hot seat are Tony Garusa and Joe Girardi because neither team is playing with spark. And that's what I saw of the San Diego Padres early last year um, when I would watch them, you know, with all the mishaps on the bases, the, you know, once the team fell behind by three or four runs, they didn't seem to have those quality at bats anymore. And the fight, you know, and then the, the, the stupid mistakes from the seventh inning on really bothered me. Let's say you guys are down four to one in a game. You don't want to see, uh, you know, a stupid mistake and then everybody be okay with it. So, when I watch the Phillies, I don't see a lot of, you know, putting the team away, the later innings drive right. to keep it close or whatever. And I said, you know, I don't know if I want to blame Joe Girardi on it, but you have to blame somebody for it. And sometimes, like, uh, uh, we can go back to the Marlins when they fired, uh, uh, who did they fire uh, midseason and brought Jack McKeon in? Or when the Phillies – Traitor Jack. Traitor Jack. Sorry, uh, Jack Judge, uh, Torboard, Jeff Torboard. Oh, Jeff then again, yeah. then in Philadelphia at the all-star break, they, they fired Pat Corrales um, a in number of years ago. So. Yeah, and then a number of years ago also down the stretch, um, the Brewers fired their manager the year they got CeCe Sabathia in 2008. In the middle of a pennant race in September, they canned their manager. Um, it may have been Lloyd McClendon, or I'm trying to remember who the manager was that they fired. Um uh, and they brought in Ned Yost, I believe, at that time. I can't recall exactly who they brought in. They may have fired Ned no, Yost. I think Ned you're Yost. right. I think it was Yost. They fired Yost? No.
3: No, I, I think I, you're right. They brought no Yost in at that time, I think.
5: Right. So what you just so, said. So instead of me just saying that I dislike Joe Girardi or blaming Joe Girardi – I think what I'm trying to say is I agree with you guys. I can't remember which one of you said it, but there could be a spark that's lacking in Philadelphia. Roger, Roger said that. Yeah. And, and you can't change your whole roster, and you think that you have enough to get to the finish line. You may have to do something like bring a new manager in, and I hate to say that because I'm, I'm, I'm not that type of guy, but I understand that line of thinking. I mean, I watched the Chicago White Sox, and you talk about a team that is losing all focus. Um, and then I saw the most surprising thing. One of their best hitters on the team is Andrew Vaughn, you know. And it's, I, I always put myself, when I do these evaluations, in the mind of a player, whether I'm Jose Abreu or Tim Anderson or Yasmani Grandal. And one of our best hitters is Andrew Vaughn. And I come into the game, expect the lineup card, and I see Vaughn is hitting night.
4: Nice. Mm.
5: And I don't know how I don't go into Larue's <laughs> office and ask him to explain that to me as a player. Well, I'll say, Rod Dillon, uh, he had
1: two he He's had really tough luck. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think he's, a, he's an outstanding player. Uh, let, let me go to a guy that's that appears to rewrite right now as we look at the, what today, 17th of May, has made every right decision, and that is judge Judge said, "I won't talk about my contract if I don't have it extended before the season starts," and he hasn't done it. Although they're saying that somewhere behind behind the, the season may be some conversation. He's guaranteed 21 million if they if he goes to arbitration. What tomorrow and the next day? It's pretty close. I'm not sure exactly what the date is when he goes to arbitration. He's going to wind up with 21 million even even if he doesn't get an extension from the Yankees. But how about how do you like the pressure he's put on the Yankees now? With the season that he's gotten off to, and the way the team has gotten off, now how are the Yankees going to step back? And I think we talked about it the last time we were on, Steve. You're talking about a guy that's what 28 years old, 29 years old.
4: Yeah, and you give yeah. him I'll a 10-year 10 10
1: what... contract for 350 million dollars. I mean, you're going to be like Pujols. I mean, you're going to uh, well, I, I, well. I'll tell you, a... I think he's made every right move, and his agents made every right move. I don't know what the mm-hmm. Yankees are going to do. They've really got the pressure on them now to, to bring well, him back and give him the big contract.
5: Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to dispute this with you that that Aaron Judge has made all the right moves because he has, and I'll agree with that. I also believe the New York Yankees have made for the best of the you know best of the organization are making the right move, and I'm going to give you a couple examples. One, New York should hope to hell that they win the World Series this year, and Aaron Judge has an MVP type year. And they can wish him well in San Francisco next year and let San Francisco have him. Uh, You know, he's a California guy about an hour north or about an hour away from San Francisco. They've got plenty of money. They don't have any big contract players. Let them give him the big contract. That's what I'm telling you right now. What New York needs to do is continue to say to themselves, we're not going to have Albert Pujols. Now, listen to these guys. Albert Pujols had a monster year with St. Louis. They won the World Series. They held the line at a seven-year deal. Both the Marlins and the Angels exceeded the seven-year deal, and the Angels said, "You know what? You are one of our Sam usual type players. Thank you for your service. We'll see you later." The Cardinals said, "See, you. they reinvest the money they would have put into pool holes into other avenues, and they did." And they brought buy. him back for his swan song for the last year to let him, uh, you know, enjoy being
1: at uh, Bush Memorial Stadium, enjoy being in St. Louis, enjoy the Cardinal uniform. Mm-hmm. And when he goes to the Hall of Fame, he's going to wear a Cardinal uniform.
5: Yes. Then we've got another example would be, and it has, you know, and again, this is going to go to the Braves, and it doesn't work out right now because they're not doing what they did last year. I'll give you that. But they won a World Series with Freddie Freeman.
2: Freddie Freeman
5: had a year almost identical to Albert Pujols at the same age. Now we can argue if Pujols is really the age he says he is. I'll give you that as well. But on, on, on paper, statistically, they were both the same age. They both won the World Series. The Atlanta Braves said, hey, Freddie, here's a contract offer for you. This is about where we're going to go.
3: Six and years.
5: It, yeah, it wasn't in where he wanted it to be. So the the Braves said, okay, that's what you want to do? Great. We went and they traded for Matt Olson and they gave him the extension. They got the last two years of RB and the rest of his career for a comparable player. Now, Freeman's one of my favorite players and is going to have success for a couple of years in uh, L.A., Who going afford to pay him. Mean, even if he tails off like pool holes, it won't affect the Dodgers. The Braves, in the meantime, are going to have to deal with Ozzy Albies. They're going to have to deal with uh, Ian Anderson. Uh, eventually, they're going to have to deal with Mike Soroka. Eventually, they're going to have to redo that deal to uh, Ronald Acuna. They have expenses that they're going to have to take care of. Austin Riley... Uh, they have a number of they, they have to look at a bigger picture with less revenue than the Yankees. Meanwhile, the Yankees what they need to do is take that money that was earmarked for Aaron Judge and invest it as widely, wisely as they can in the free agent market. You may not get Aaron Judge's performance replicated, but you can certainly do well with it. Now, if Aaron Judge wants to retire a Yankee and wants to work out a deal that works well for both sides, great. This is a situation where I think both sides have made in the shade. You're right. His agent is doing it perfectly. I, I, well, don't, disagree. I, I don't disagree. No,
3: I don't either. I don't either. And and that's what I was going to bring up the Freddie Freeman situation, Steve, because you, you hit the nail on the head. The the Braves offered a six, and he got a seven, correct, with the Dodgers. Uh, Something. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I, and I think the Braves made a smart move, uh, but you know, he's
4: having,
3: (laughs) he's having a little bit of trouble, but you know, the, uh, but you know, that'll, that'll, I think it'll straighten out in the long run, Uh, but they have a lot, a lot of changes uh, or a lot of decisions to make the Braves do. But I think they do have some good guys that uh, are at Gwinnett that they can uh, bring up. So we'll see hey well, you they guys got see- a lot of talent
1: the Braves got a lot of talent i you know they may be under 500 right now right at 500 i don't have the paper in front of me but uh they're going to be there before it's over i i i really believe it i just I, they got too many good players just to be playing the way they're playing
5: right now yeah they got a back and that spencer strider is something else in that bullpen if they can extend him out and more in the higher leverage but Did you guys see who had the second seven-year offer at almost the same money uh, for Freddie Freeman, and it wasn't the Braves?
3: No. Who was that?
5: Tampa Bay Rays. Oh,
1: yeah, I did see that. I I do remember now that you said that because everybody sort of wondered a little bit, said, you know, the Rays haven't spent that kind of money, and all of a sudden they're in the hunt for him. uh, you're, You're exactly right. That was a little bit of a surprise.
3: Well, he's a yeah, West Coast guy, What, he lives in uh, his family's in Orange County. Uh, I think so. Yeah. I think that's what it was. You know, he went he went yeah. back to L.A. or went to L.A. Yeah. to be closer to home.
1: You, yeah. know you talked You're about uh right. you talked about the Dodgers, Steve, and uh, yeah, uh, I'm 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 really disappointed. I, I saw all the Philly games as you did. They were late at night, but I saw, them. and uh, I'll tell you, I I, and I saw them again last night. Um, I, I don't know. They just don't look to me like they're, uh, you know, they're fortunate Turner got the home run yesterday. And who else? I forget their back-to-back home runs. I forget who it was. But, anyway, I, I, they just to, didn't impress me in that Philly series at all.
5: Yeah, that was a tough series for them in the bullpen and a few other things. But Every they, place they, They've got some guys that got off to some really slow starts and haven't, you know, the pitching side, the starting pitching has been fantastic. They lead the league in everything. I mean, let's just – they're basically the best pitching staff right? in almost everything. They had a rough week, um, which, which is going to happen. But, you know, uh, Freddie Freeman's got like a 19-game on Bay Street, so he's been doing fine. But Mookie Betts got off to an absolutely horrible start. Oh, he woke up, terrible. Yeah, he woke up in the Philly series, but he got off to an absolutely horrible start. Max Muncy, okay, a guy can walk. He's got me like, 28 walks, but he can't hit. Justin Turner – Hasn't been hitting. You know, uh, you saw Trey Turner's home run. That was his first home run in almost a month. Yeah, that that tied the you game up. What you know, so time?
1: bottom bottom of the ninth inning
5: was I think it was bottom of the ninth inning when he hit that home run to tie it up. Yeah. So you know, <clears throat> the the Dodgers the Dodgers have had some um, <laughs> some overall issues with some guys that haven't been able to to reach that <clears throat> gear and think but. You know they're starting to, you know, the Mookie bets is starting to look great. Right. Um, and but then again, when you get the pitching staff of Arizona, and you should win four in a row and look good. I mean, I'm, yeah. you know, Arizona. I know they're off to a nice start, and I, you know, uh, well, you got a three
1: hundred million dollar payroll, more than three hundred million dollar payroll. But you got to, you got to be playing a little bit better than now. I agree with you, with Mookie Betts. I mean, he's. You look at his bloodlines. He's gonna, he's gonna be good before the season's over. He's not gonna have this kind of year all year, but.
5: Uh, well, they, I, I, they've got the best record in baseball. I don't know what else we could say. I mean, nobody has – I don't think anybody has a better record than them. Maybe the Yankees. Yeah, the Yankees do. Yeah. Um, you know, they're 25-12. and 12. You know, that's a 676 winning percentage. Um, and they had a – and that includes a losing three of four to Philadelphia in there. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe so, I'm just uh, – maybe I'm overwhelmed by the fact that Phillies beat them three out of four. I don't know. No, I, Again, that was one of my favorite series to listen to um, on the year. That was a lot of fun, man. That was a, uh, I wish the Phillies could play, you know, with that intensity every night. You know? Right.
3: And then Sunday, you know, they have the, uh, the letdown. I mean, you know, because of the bullpen. I'll tell you, talking about bullpens, I watched the uh, the Braves and, and the Brewers. I got to tell you, that Josh Hader is unbelievable. <laughs> He's something, isn't he? He is
5: unbelievable. Yeah, Milwaukee is a pitching factory. You know, if you look at their entire staff as they bring them up, like Corbin Burns and Eric Lauer and Josh Hader and Devin Williams, the list just goes on. Whether you're a reliever or a starter, they usually start you in the bullpen and then they out as you as you progress. You know, um, but that's a very nice Milwaukee team. And you're right, Josh Hader is somebody, man. Uh, he's going to make some money coming up soon, so I don't know what Milwaukee's going to do. You know, they usually don't convert. They usually don't spend a ton of money on the ninth inning. Right. But I'll tell you,
3: they're winning games. He came in. It was that 1-0 game the other night. And I'll tell you what, he comes in. I mean, he just blows you away. One, two, three. I mean, you know, no finesse or anything. Just... yeah, the, it, it reminds me of some of the uh, the guys that we saw, you know, in years past that would come in and and throw a lot of heat. But, uh, but I, I don't think he's been scored on uh, hardly at all this year. I, I mean, I don't have the statistics in front of me. But uh,
1: I'll tell you, Don, have you seen him with the Brewers? Have I seen him? Not, I haven't yeah. seen a lot of them. I've seen maybe two or three games. Okay, I mean he just is phenomenal. I mean, you talk—that's
5: the guy every every team would love to have is the closer. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and or in the seventh or eighth inning, which which council will go get him? You get you yes. get a couple guys on with an out in the seventh inning. Josh Hader might be coming out of that bullpen to get you. And and, uh, Craig Council will worry about the eighth and ninth inning later with Devin Williams. But uh, I do have another question for you, gentlemen, if you want to take a stab at it. I don't want to go on too long, but I am interested in something. No, go ahead. Um, Since I watch a lot of baseball, I've got my questions I always have. But is there anybody you're really concerned about that may have seen their best years and they're done? Like, I'll give you an example of who I'm thinking of, um, and then if you guys can pair it off of that. But Nelson Cruz. You know, I mean, did the, did the candle finally go out on him, or is he just having a slow start? Um, he looks absolutely horrible. Even though he's got 20 RBI, he can still, he's still an RBI machine, but he looks horrible at the plate. Do you guys see any pitchers that you really are concerned with after a slow start, like a Carlos Santana or anybody like that? Well, go ahead, well, Roger.
1: Schwarber is, is not hitting for average. 202 he's hitting.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I mean he's hit the, what the nine home runs I think, but uh, you know I worry about that. You know when you're not uh, you're you're hitting a home run or nothing. Okay, I I worry about that.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Well, who was that? I you it it who did you, who did you mention? Schwerber. Schwerber. Uh, he, yeah, he he must have heard. Him. He just singled up the middle. <laughs> I mean, God, he just right here. I'm watching the replay, right up the middle, off the mound. There's a single. But anyway, yeah, he's, so. he's got he's gotten off to a very very. I mean, he's did a few start. home
1: runs, but he's yeah. got off to a very poor start. And as we said earlier in the uh, in the program, not just because of last night's miscue in the outfield, which can happen to anybody, but uh he's not an outfielder. Let's face it. I mean, he's a uh, He's he's going to be a liability a in the field ninety percent of the time, but uh, he he's going to hit the long ball for you. And if he can hit some kind of with some kind of consistency around two sixty five, two seventy, uh, they got themselves a real find. If he continues the season hitting two oh two, two oh five, with a few home runs, then they got themselves a mediocre player.
5: All right, what do you think, Steve, about him? Um, I think there's more there's more to his game than just home runs. And I think, you know, I, I remember with him with the Cubs, <laughs> um, he's an overall, he's a baseball player. We should see better times from him. He's never, to me, he's never been the all or nothing hitter. Um, you know, I don't mind. You could have, you know, if he had a good glove, like let's just say he was like a Hunter Renfro with the glove, then you could put up with the 30 homers and low batting average. But with Kyle Schwarber, you've got, a bad glove. You can't DH him with with Bryce Harper. It's going to have to be DH, so you right. can't hide Schwarber on the diamond. So we're not dealing with the same. So he's going to have to hit like you say. He's going to have to do more. I think he. I think, just, he, the, I, think
1: uh, I, I may be one hundred percent incorrect, but last night when I was watching the postgame show and they talked about the bullpen and what uh, the Phillies are <laughs> going to have to do coming to the trade, I think he's one of the players that uh, you know a lot of clubs would take a shot with because he hit the long ball for them. Uh, and uh, maybe not necessarily have to play him in the field. I think he's one of the gems the Phillies have to treat. That's my, my personal feeling on that. Number two, I uh, was listening to uh, – uh, uh, you, you, well, you said you listened to the Phillies uh, on the radio, not on television. Uh, did you see Jamie Moyer when he was on, Roger? With the, no. His? See,
3: I don't get those games. And uh,
1: Oh, okay. When well, Jamie know, Moyer was on he – lives, he, lives he, he lives in California now with his family. Uh, and uh, he was on for about three innings. I'll tell you, one of the most decisive three innings of commentary that uh, that I've heard in a long time. I mean, he was really good. And I'll throw this out to Steve and see what his opinion is. He said the, one of the biggest problems he feels in baseball now. He it was a, his whole style of pitching, as you know, was was a lot different than what they have now, where we're powering people. But he said they got all these young kids coming up in high school, college, minor leagues, and all they worry about is the top zone. They got to throw yeah. the ball 95, 96, 97 years, 97 miles an hour. He said you're never, never, never going to be a consistent pitcher if that's the way you're going to come out of high school and college and go into the minor leagues. He said there's only a few Bob Gibsons. There's only a few. You're not going to be. You're not going to work that top zone with your fastball, and not have a complimentary, and he said, this stuff about having five pitches is ridiculous. You don't need five pitches. You need three pitches that you can pitch. And he said, everybody every time you go to a game, they say, oh, well, this guy is a slider, or he has a curveball. He said, you can't win with that. You've got to be able to know what pitch you want to have and when you want to use it. I'll tell you, it was terrific, I, absolutely terrific. Steve, do you, do you believe that they're really concentrating now just on the high zone?
5: Well, I think velocity up in the zone plays. I'll tell you what Charlie Morton said when I asked him about, um, you know, going deep on so many counts, you know, going 3-2, 2-2 on so many guys. And Charlie Morton told me, and this is going to back to Pittsburgh, who had the same philosophy as Jamie Moyer has. He said, I tried pitching to contact and pitching down in the zone. Um, How did that work out? And that's kind of how he ended it with me. Uh, Garrett Cole had a few comments about, uh, pitching for the Pirates, where they said pitch low in the zone, um, you know, drop your, you don't don't throw your four seam fastball up in the zone. Pittsburgh had an entire philosophy of Joe Musgrove as well. So let's take a look at Garrett Cole, Charlie Morton, and Joe Musgrove, and getting out of Pittsburgh and deciding to go change up in the zone. Or Jake Odorizzi when he was with Tampa Bay, um, he was an up and down guy, and they said, hey, you know what, you have this great uh, breaking ball, but you need to throw your fastball up high. So it, the the door swings both ways. But, but now, I think he I'm, was
1: talking more about the fact that they they concentrate so heavily on throwing the ball.
4: Yeah, I, I won't
1: go to the high. I won't go to the high level over 95. I'll he, say yeah, 93 and above. The so, they concentrate yeah, on throwing the ball yeah. so hard that yeah. you, you know. And he said, well, the, the the only thing you could use it to justify that is they know when they go out there, they only got to go four or five innings. So they can throw right. totally anything they want to coming to start the game because they're not going to stay in the game. So he's got yeah, yeah, look only at that problem with, too.
5: The only problem with uh, Jamie Moyer's perspective is he's a unicorn. And what he sees is him and the success that he had, and he thinks other people can duplicate it, duplicate it. Now, Mark Foley right. was another unicorn. Um, baseball doesn't have that many unicorns. Uh, Ryan Yarbrough is a unicorn. You know, he tries to, you know, uh, he has that you know, low impact, you know, and there's not a lot of extra velocity. He does not throw very hard about 89 miles an hour. Uh, will be about the top velocity. He throws at. Um, there are some guys that are like Jamie Moyer that are, are like Josh Fleming for the Rays is another guy. Uh, in many, in many respects, Marcus Stroman, it doesn't throw that hard. Uh, Kevin Gausman uh, isn't a fastball guy. Um, they're not as slow as Jamie Moyer was, but, you know, Jamie Moyer is a unicorn, um, and, and so his perspective is a little a little tilted. But his one thing he did say, we saw we see it in Blake Snell, and I've been saying it for years. Blake Snell throws 97, 98 miles an hour. He has a great slider. He insists on throwing four pitches. He's got a, a slider. He's got a fastball. He's got a cutter or a curveball, and he's got a changeup. Right. Know? Last year, they were talking about in the broadcast um, from July on, he dumped the changeup. He only threw it 2.7 percent of the time. He had an ERA of around 1.71, and was at 13.1 Ks per nine, and was dominant. He comes back today in the first inning. He throws 33 pitches, or 34 pitches, and about I think he threw five or six changeups. Now the question is, why? Why does Blake Snell need four pitches? You know. I mean, he's got a fastball slider. Just, you know, first time through the lineup, lead with the fastball, throw the slider. The second time through, go with the slider, curveball, and mix in a few fastballs and change it up that way. But why do you try to locate four pitches? And I think that's what Jamie Moyer may be alluding to. Some of these guys, they can't even get into a rhythm because they're trying to throw four different pitches. Exactly I, his point. Probably,
1: exactly right. his point. And also, what you made, the point that you made a little bit earlier was really what he emphasized, the fact that that you can't come out there and walk the first guy. You can't, every inning, the first guy has to be your concentration point. You cannot walk that first guy. You got to yeah. I don't care whether you're coming in out of the bullpen. I don't care whether you're starting the game. I don't care whether it's a third inning. Your point of concentration has got to be on the first guy coming up because that, if you already have one out when the inning goes from that first batter, you're way ahead of the game.
5: Yeah, um, I'll give you the, uh, you know, from, from talking to the Rays enough, I'll give you their pitching philosophy, and you guys will probably agree with it. Their philosophy is it's a race to two strikes. They believe getting to two strikes is paramount on every bat and registering outs in three pitches or less. Exactly.
2: That's,
5: and well, that's know, what they I'll... drive home. Every pitcher. In the bullpen, you'll see the Rays, believers, give up a lot of homers. Solos. They don't care. The Rays are like, just throw in the zone. If they hit a home run, they hit a home run. We'll we'll work on that later. But right now, get in the zone. Don't walk, guys. Uh, don't fall behind every hitter three and one. Um, it's a race to two strikes. And I think that's kind of what Jamie Moyer it, would like to see more of. Pitchers being aggressive, getting ahead of count, being in the zone, challenging in the zone, and keeping the game moving. Exactly, exactly. And realize uh, there may be – I think it
1: was in the Mets game last night. I don't know whether it was Keith Hernandez or, or, or I can't remember who said it, but there are only maybe four or five key points in a ball game. Those those five points dictate 90% of the time whether you're going to win or lose. And you've got to be ready. When those five points come up, you got to be ready to make the right move. You can't be walking somebody or, you know, you can't do anything about it. errors. They happen, but, I mean, I tell you, I thought I just somewhere touched on so many things that, that you are touching on as well, and the Rays have done this now for how long?
5: I mean, this is not just catching this. Cashew-ness. This has been this has been their philosophy. Their philosophy. A race to two strikes, and uh, you know Kyle Snyder, who took over for Jim Hickey, um, he had all these young pitchers in the minors. He was the pitching coordinator, you know, for, with all these guys uh, coming up through the minors, like Blake Snell right. and Jan and and all that, and so the philosophy he was teaching has carried on, but it makes sense to me. I watch games, and, you know, the one thing you have to get used to if you follow that philosophy is you are going to give up home runs. There's no avoiding it. You know, if, if you, you know, got a reliever... Was... No, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt, Steve. If you got a reliever that throws 96, 97, and you want him to challenge hitters, well, mentally that reliever needs to know that if the hitter beats you... Okay. Tip your hat to the hitter. Get back in the zone. Don't start nibbling around the edges. Get back in the zone and attack. And just have faith in your stuff. Roger, what I'll let you say, close it out
1: with yeah, Steve. Steve, I want yeah, well, I, I I, I to wanna say I just want to say I want to thank you so much for <laughs> spending so much time with us tonight because it's always a lot of fun. A lot of times we don't have oh, time to really go over so many different things, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun to talk baseball and, and to get an idea of your viewpoints from us. To, statistical standpoint, uh, philosophy standpoint, uh, it's just a lot of fun. Roger, you can close it out.
3: Well, yeah, what I was going to say, I, I appreciate it, Steve. We always appreciate uh, you, and, and uh, we learn a lot. But I, just to follow up with what Don was saying about Jamie Moyer, you know, I, you look at the Phillies, they have really developed uh, some broadcasters. Uh, you know, Franson, uh moved from the Phillies to uh, uh, the Nationals, uh, to do the uh, color on uh, TV. And now they got uh, Kevin Stocker, and I think he does a great job. And uh, I think what they've uh, – then you talk about Jamie Moyer, they got him for three three innings. And, uh, you know, they just seem to be developing some uh, really uh, good talent. And, that uh, I you know, I'd love to hear uh, Brad Lidge as an analyst. You know, I think he's great on MLB Radio. Uh,
5: what about you, Steve? I love announcers on the radio. Like you would not believe, um, they, you know, they bring the game to life. Even when I have my MLB TV at um, at bat app, I'll go to the radio broadcast for the audio. It's a yeah, that's what you I can, do. You know. Yeah, because yeah. the radio they, I, I TV they just talk too much. But you're right. I'm, but I do have a trivia question for you. I think I'm right on this one. Wait a minute now. Um, well, you think you're right? You got to be right. <laughs> well, you're going to. You guys will confirm if I'm right. right. Okay. If I'm right, you'll confirm it. I believe Kevin Stocker is still rated as the worst trade the Rays ever made. Really? And That's I'm almost. I like, can look it up. But can you tell me who did the Phillies trade? The Phillies traded Kevin Stocker. I think I'm right to the Devil Rays. For a player that became a longtime legend in Philadelphia, and if I'm wrong on this, I'm gonna I'm gonna really look stupid. But I'll, when I tell you the answer, you'll probably say, "Oh my gosh, that's right!" Or you'll say, "Steve, you're wrong."
1: I I, I won't say you're stupid either way, but I couldn't tell you who
5: the player was. No, I I'm can't al- either. Here's the way it worked. I'm almost positive that the Rays drafted a player in the expansion draft. And then sent him to Philadelphia for Kevin Stocker, and that player was Bobby Abreu. Wow! Oh, how about that? I'm, so I'm going to go back and look that
1: up. I, I, I yeah. mean, uh, Abreu was an outstanding player for the Phillies, but I, I didn't know that he went came in for Kevin Stocker. But I'm going to look it up after we finish the um, show. I'm
5: pretty sure. Next time we talk, you can say, Steve, I can't take anything you say at face value anymore because it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't you know, um, and, and you. And, and my defense, I'll say, guys, I was in college at the time. I wasn't even living in Tampa Bay. I'll come up with a million reasons why I'm, why I'm cloudy on that. Well, I'll say finally, I'll say this.
1: I, I like the fact that you listen to the games on radio. I listen to a lot of the games on XM as well. But uh, if I have, if I'm here like now I'm watching a Ranger game, but I, I watch the game without the sound on most of the time because I don't want to hear what they're talking about anyway. And. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I have the TV on. I don't necessarily have the radio on, but I have the TV on. But I have uh, without the sound. Just like I grew up be listening the to the
5: Tigers on AM850 and the Indians on uh, 1100 with Herb score. And uh, I'd go back and forth on the radio dial. And every night i go to sleep to one of the two broadcasters. And it's kind of stuck with me my entire life is I have to listen to radio broadcasts of baseball because I like the way they describe everything. Yeah, the, yeah, you know, the unfortunate
1: you, part is there aren't very many KMOXs in St. Louis left. No. <laughs> you know, not the, left. The, the big 50,000-watt stations that cover, carry baseball all dumped it out now. And you, you, If you don't have XM, you can't get the game. So you, you got to go to XM without question. You, you know, Steve, the
3: next time you're on, we'll have to get into uh, some discussion uh, about the number of players recently that have passed away uh, from cancer. Oh. Uh, that uh, uh, played for the Phillies on the turf at Veterans Stadium. Uh, I had no idea that uh, the number was as high as it was. Or, it, 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 I mean, it might, it might be a, not be a big number, but it's a lot when you consider the age of the, of the uh, players was... and the same in the same uh, way that they passed. Really sad. <laughs> very sad. Right.
5: That is very sad. Well, guys. I'll let you go, and I want to thank you. And, and my, my sentiment are the same as yours. To me, you guys, your perspectives are so sometimes are completely alternate of mine, but I love hearing them. And I, I, as soon as we get off the uh, the call, the, the stuff we talked about, I will parse and balance it out a little bit more in my head, and probably bring it up to you the next time we talk. And, uh, absolutely.
1: Hopefully, it's a, uh, within a couple of weeks.
5: And just you remember, if it. you're
3: gonna
1: make if you're gonna make a trade, Jeff. Just... McDeal's the guy you want to be sure you get because there, there's a winner. I mean, there's a winner. He's going to hit 300. For He's going to hit to the opposite field. He's going to steal bases. He's going to make great defensive plays. He can play second base, third base, the outfield. There's a player
5: you want to have on your team. Steve, thank you I very will,
4: much.
1: We'll, I will we'll be back you with you
5: shortly. I'll leave you guys with one one little thing real quick, okay? Go. yeah. Jeff McNeil at the trade deadline last year was almost a ray, but the pitcher they were going to send over to the Mets got injured. Oh, is that right? I well, that, that I, he I'm, didn't
1: have a real good year
5: last year, but he's having a brilliant yeah. year this year so far. But he was heading to Tampa Bay at the deadline. They were real close to the deal. The medicals on the pitcher that the uh, – uh, it's not Brent Honeywell, but the medicals at the pitcher they were interested in Pan would out. Have great.
1: They would have got the gem. They would have got the gem if they got him.
5: Oh, All right, my All right,
1: man. We'll we'll talk to you soon again, and uh, hope the race keep going for you, and, and uh, keep the statistical information going so we can learn something. Take, Take care, care Steve. Thanks so much.
3: <laughs> All right. Bye bye.
2: Hey, Don. Yeah. Don. Yeah. We have a uh, we have we have a caller from the Baltimore area, a very influential <laughs> golf pro. Uh, he's, uh, currently, uh, in, uh, transit to his home, but he's taking the time out <laughs> to, uh, be with us this evening, so, uh, right. uh, uh, without further ado, uh, Mr. Hamilton's the best ready to go. It, yeah. He's
1: on his way home, and he lives in the Baltimore area. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Does he know anything about sports?
4: <laughs> A I former
1: college so. baseball player, I think, too, well. That's right. Well, you that's can't right. really count that because George Washington is not really a. <laughs> oh,
3: <boy. laughs> oh. Listen,
7: listen here. I, I personally want to deep skinned to prove it. I, I got I have this. <laughs> I, have, I was, you know, I was the only recruit of 13 kids to play baseball all four years and get my uh, degree in four years. And that I'm very well, proud of. No, I would be, too.
1: Through. I think that's great. Doug,
3: hey, Doug I, you know... I, Doug I Hamilton, it. wait a minute. Let me
1: just say, it's Doug Hamilton on the phone with us down in Baltimore. PGA professional, and of course we've got the PGA Championship coming up starting tomorrow, so we can talk yes, about sir. a little bit about golf. We can talk about Tiger Woods, because uh, physically he's getting a lot of uh, very positive response after going out and playing a few practice mm-hmm. rounds out there in Oklahoma, and so we'll talk about that, but uh, Doug, just a, a host of things on the golf front, and the PGA Tour, it's right at the
7: very top. Yeah, I was very disappointed to see Phil Mickelson withdraw, and uh, um, I'm not sure if this is still the the remnants of that whole Dubai or you know alternate tour concept of, of words that he said. I think that's ridiculous if it is, and you know to not have the defending champion um, you know tee it up and, and have a go at it, I think, is very right. disappointing and to me disturbing for the matter in which this could possibly be the reason why he's not. So, um, you know, selfishly, I would have loved to have seen him play. Um, you know, this golf course is a very difficult golf course. So I, I can't imagine that had anything to do with it. Um, but, I mean, if you look, and I know, Don, you're you're an honest awesome yeah. guy, and you look at the bet, the betting slips for these things. I mean, I think the last I saw the favorite was Scotty Scheffler, and I think he was like 11 to 1. So you know, I, I don't know that there's a clear cut favorite in this. No,
1: nah, uh, Speed, but he's th- in the top three because he's been playing well for maybe the last six yeah. or seven weeks. And, uh, uh, he's, uh, he's a second choice for a lot of people. I don't know if he's going uh, to, I always like to Rory see now. him win, but I don't know if he's going to win, but I, I, I always like to see him play well. And, and, uh, another thing I was surprised about was that, uh, Rory, uh, uh, hadn't really played the course very much. He, uh, he studied the course by visual, uh, and uh, so we'll see how he does. He's a, he's a, in the you know he's he's in the top eleven choices, but he's not yeah. not one of the choices to win it. I, I,
7: I looked, I think, at CBS Sports, and they had Roy McIlroy was like fourteen to one, I think, when I saw it. Um, but I mean, they had a lot of really good golfers that were. Like uh, Victor Hovland was like twenty-two to one. I mean, they had a lot of good players that were, were higher odds. Um, and
1: and Hoblyn, uh, it's kind of a coming home for him. He, he, he was, a boy, yeah. I guess, raised around the Oklahoma area.
7: I think he went to Oklahoma, or Oklahoma State. Was one of the Oklahoma State.
1: Recall. He went to Oklahoma State. Yeah.
7: Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, this golf course is a true test for these guys. I mean, it's very difficult, Um, you know, and it's also, you know, looking at the PGA Championship itself, I mean, I think it's really great that they do recognize uh, the the working professionals, so to speak, like me, who aren't on tour that get the opportunity to play in this too, which I think is really cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
7: I'll tell you, uh, you know, Tiger
1: is usually not very committal on, on, uh, you know, he doesn't say much positive or negative about a lot of things, but uh, he was – Sort of outspoken a little bit about, uh, you know, Mickelson. Bill. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess they uh, they said that he had been a little bit uh, uh, they had been cold toward each other for some time, and it had cooled off a little bit. They seemed to be going along okay. But uh, Tiger was Tiger was uh, yesterday's press conference a very uh, very outspoken about how much he disagrees with Mickelson and what he's doing.
7: Well, I mean, I think that the relationship of Tiger and Phil over the years has been. Mercurial at best. Um, you know, you can cite instances instances when they were uh, Ryder Cup partners, which was a disaster. I mean, obviously they were they were competitive uh, for very long. I mean, Phil Mickelson was Tiger Woods before Tiger Woods was. You know, right. as an amateur and and uh, and those sorts of things. So, um, you know, they they've been hot and cold. I think over the years, and I think they have a mutual respect for each other. And I think this is a, you know a big difference of opinion because I think Tiger Woods is very supportive of the PGA tour and, and how they run, you know, Absolutely. what they do. And I think he's, he's also very big on legacy and, you know, he's won 82 times and, um, you know, I mean, that's, you know, somebody, I heard somebody talking about it. They said, you know, when, when you rank Herschel Walker amongst the best running backs that ever played the game, do you count his USFL yards in his totals or not? You know, so I mean, I think that if you have another, you have another tour. I mean, what does that really count as? What what what's the significance of winning on that tour? Like, what does that mean? You know, so I think that's where they have a big differentiation of opinion.
1: Well, I think not only that, but I think the the way he, you know, of course he came out and said it was supposed to be off the record, his conversation and so forth. Well, whether it was or not, I don't know. But, but you uh, right know. You can't really, uh, you know, you can't really come out and support Dubai and some of the, the problems that uh, they have internationally and, and so forth. So, but anyway, it's the it's 104th uh, edition of the PGA. Uh, it's on an unusual golf course out in, the, in Oklahoma, and uh, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I think, uh, and they're going to do a lot more TV this time. And you know, like the Master they yeah. limit how much uh, TV time you're going to get, but you're going to get a lot of TV time on this. On the PGA, which yeah. I think is great, well, we'll have a chance to of see course. a lot and of it tomorrow. Hey you know, Don, I, mean, I, I want you to
3: ask—I uh, want you to ask Doug about the uh, soda price in Oklahoma City.
1: Yeah, I mean, eighteen dollars for a soda. Uh, Thomas came out with—he did a story in the Post today, talking about how can a how can the PGA charge eighteen dollars for the for a Coke at a concession stand. When you're trying to get people God to come bless. in and
7: buy tickets to see the tournament. Yeah, God bless. I mean, that's – how much soda could you really buy at the grocery store for $18? I mean, I don't know anymore because I don't drink it, but <laughs> I mean, I would think you could you could buy a couple cases, couldn't you? I don't know. Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> what,
7: what do a they charge – I
1: mean, Roger, you're, you're a Wawa guy, and what do they charge for sodas in Wawa?
3: Well, the uh, I can tell you, like a bottle of water can be anywhere from a uh, dollar twenty nine to over two dollars.
1: Okay. So uh, that's well short of eighteen.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I, mean
4: <laughs> I can
1: tell
3: you, I pay. Listen, I paid uh, for a soda at the uh, uh, Forsyth County Fair here last year, and it was a uh, it was four dollars and fifty cents. Okay. <laughs> So, I mean, that was for one soda. It was definitely not $18. But, you know, I wanted to ask Doug another question, and this was on baseball because I meant to ask him this uh, last week or the week before. When you were at George Washington, did you ever play Catholic U, Doug? (laughs)
7: Um, I think we played Catholic U my freshman year in the fall. Um, you know, it wasn't a real quote-unquote game, but um, that, that freshman year we played like inter-squad stuff and had our practices, but we played Catholic, I think we played Navy, I think we played Georgetown, and I want to think locals, we played local like yeah. Yeah, Amer- American or something like that, just as a scrimmage, quote-unquote, but I think I think um, the NCAA kind of squashed that Um you know, and they, they, they went to, I mean, there at one point in time, there was no stipulation on how much practice time you could have. And when I got there my freshman year, I think they, basically the NCAA mandated that each one of your student athletes had to have one complete day off from practice, uh, travel, or, or any organized team events in an effort to try to get these kids back in school and, uh, and go on to their classes. Because, I mean, you're, you know, you're on a bus from D.C. to whatever, St. Bonaventure, Rhode Island, Temple, whatever. You have a three-game series. You leave, You leave, uh, most cases, Friday morning. You don't get back till Sunday night. And we, we typically had Mondays off. And then we would play our midweek schedules, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, which would be consistent of, you know, whatever, Cop- Coppin, um, you know, Maryland, and, and some of these schools. And then on the occasion, I mean, we would travel – probably as hard as like James Madison or somebody like somewhere like that. I always like going to James Madison because he got more meal money when he went because he went outside of the 50-mile parameter. Yeah. So, well, my uh, my son was
1: I, recruited by James Madison. He decided to go to North Carolina instead, but James Madison yeah, was, and my uh, younger boy graduated from James Madison. So uh, i tell you, yeah. you want to see that school now. When my awesome, son went yeah. there, well, uh, of course, a number of years ago now, but boy, oh boy, what a, what a, Complex they have now. I, Virginia Tech and and uh, James Madison. I mean they have really done a job. But switching yep. gears one more time because you're right in the heart of it. The Preakness, the nine horse yep. field coming up uh, on Saturday. A lot yep. of controversy about this race because Dwayne Lucas. You know they uh, and you probably know more than I do because you're in Baltimore and I'm not. But uh, the papers have talked about the fact that uh, and they have talked about it before changing the uh, Triple Crown and not not uh, having the preakness as early as they do because, uh, right. of course, of course, the one in Kentucky Derby won't run in the preakness because right. the trainer said it's too close. But uh, D. Wayne yeah. Lucas said that he, uh, he he would not be opposed to it. He's won the preakness six times. And he said he would not be opposed to the making changes, but he thinks they're going to maintain from a traditional standpoint, keeping it the way yeah. it is. What do you think?
7: Well, I mean, I, I think we've probably maintained this level of schedule for a very long time. So, I mean, I don't know why all of a sudden, you know, we're 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 saying that it's it's not right or it's not normal. I mean, if you go back through the annals of history, it, I think it's always been this way. I mean, I think the maximum amount of time between the Derby and the Preakness has only ever been like three weeks. So, you know, what's the difference?
1: Well, of course, uh, as they said, uh, as D. Way Lucas said, and also the uh, trader and owner, uh, of the Kentucky Derby winner uh, said, you know, you want to get the best horses in the three races. And,
7: yeah.
1: you know, you're not going to get the best horses in the three races because a number no. of horses, if they win the Derby, they skip the Preakness and go to the Belmont or they go to the right. Preakness and then they they don't win or something, they don't go to the Belmont. So you want to have the best three-year-olds right. in the field and they feel that the best way to do that is to have the Kentucky Derby, then have the Preakness on on, uh, Memorial Day weekend, rather than this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, and then have uh, Fourth of July, have the Belmont on Fourth of July, Uh, which doesn't sound to me to be a a bad move, uh, but again, you're going back against tradition.
7: Right. Well, I mean, you know, how many years was it between Triple Crown winners and then all of a sudden – you know, you had, uh, what, American Pharaoh and Justify as, you know, relatively recent winners. Um, right. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to win that Triple Crown. Um, but, I mean, like this horse, Rich Strike, that won the uh, the Derby, I mean, that, that horse is, he'll never have to run another race if he doesn't want to. He'll always be a Kentucky Derby winner, and that's worth, you know, a lot of money when it comes to the, the oh, breeding boy. material. Um anyway.
4: You know, well, is six that, to five.
1: I mean, he finished second by, you know, what a neck to to uh, yeah. Rich Strike, and and uh, so he's the favorite,
7: pretty much. Uh, uh, not a great favorite, but well, he's pretty I much think, the favorite of the race. I think the bigger news, Don, is the fact that obviously Bob Baffert's banned for whatever two years, and you know can't have horses in the race or whatever. Well, there's there's at least one horse in the Preakness that was a Bob Baffert horse that he, quote-unquote, transferred to another barn. Right. So he had he two in the Derby. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's, you know. And, and, in fact, I think one of the horses that's – I think the horse that, that was his, I think um, I think Irad Ortiz is the jockey, which is a pretty solid choice. Uh, I'm not sure if that's accurate or not. But I was I was reading some of that kind of stuff today. I haven't done my deep dive kind of into – you know the horses and their running styles, and and um, you know kind of the I mean, epicenter, as you mentioned, is the clear cut favorite. But you know epicenter was the favorite at, at the Derby, and I think right. the second favorite was uh, was it or whatever. So, I mean, they they were both there at the, at the end, um, respectively second and third. But um, you know there's a couple higher odds horses that. I mean, you know, no one thought that Rich Strike at 80-1 was going to win the Derby. So, I mean, every no, Not to at 80-1, they didn't think so. No. Well, and the big thing is the Preakness is a little shorter race. And if you get one of those. Not only that, not only this that race,
1: it's uh, uh, a much closed corner race. Uh, and right. if you get, if the get, the lead, at the, get the lead at the Preakness, okay. you got a better chance because, you know, the corners are a lot sharper than they are at the Kentucky Derby. And as you say, it's a little shorter race to boot. So
7: be interested to see what happens. Well, what's going to happen is one of the horses that's a higher odds horse has been entered into this race strictly as a pace setter. And you're going to see when that gate opens, you're going to have a horse or two that's going to run to the front of that race that has no chance to win it. But all they're going to do is set the pace and see who can catch up. And that's going to push that pace and make some of these jockeys make a move in an effort to gain their position so that they can sit for the turn. So that's the
1: interesting thing about this race. Yeah. Going back to your point earlier, I, and I, I think it's correct, I don't have the stats in front of me, but uh, well, was it two years ago because of the COVID they didn't have the race? I think it was two years ago, I'm not sure. But other than yeah. that,
4: Sounds right.
1: Other than that, they've had it just yeah. like you're saying. It's been been pretty uh, pretty consistent. I mean, there wasn't any other time that they had yeah. missed except the COVID year
7: right well i mean i don't know what i don't have any method to to check this fact but i i would guess that there's probably been about 13 triple crown winners so i mean obviously some horses have figured it out and not not to mention you know if if you look at the possibilities of other horses that won two of the three legs i mean it it can be done it has been done you know so right um i i understand Uh, these uh, owners and and trainers and everything erring on the side of caution with regard to their horses and not wanting to push them. Um, But, you know, whatever. I mean, the score is the score. The race happens two weeks from, you know, the previous one, and that's the way that it is. If you want a chance to win the Triple Crown, you enter your horse.
3: Roger, you're up. Well, I'm just going to say that uh, uh, I I think I'd love to see a, a, a good race. Uh, I did not see the derby okay and uh but I you know I'm I'm looking forward so we talked about it uh, for a number of years now what's the story about Laurel uh Doug what are they are they what are they going to do are they going to uh go to another track with the race in the future or what
7: you talking about Laurel or Pimlico I mean Pimlico but they talked about going to Laurel possibly right yeah. Right. I mean, I'm sure it was probably mentioned, but I mean, you know, when, when you talk about the Triple Crown, I mean, the, the crown jewel is the Kentucky Derby in all of Kentucky's glory in their mid-jewels. So, you know, sec, uh, you know a, a distant second place is the Belmont, you know, where that's, you know, racing country as well. And the the Preakness has always been the redheaded stepchild. Fellas, we um,
1: were just out of time. You know. We didn't get to you signing uh, a new, a brand new running back, uh, uh, to a, a thousand yard running back down there with the Ravens. We didn't get to that. We didn't get to. Uh, that. I wanted to talk. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit more golf, but we were out of time, boys. Roger, thank you very much. Have a great Doug, week, Doug. <laughs> always care, a pleasure. Hey, hey. And uh, Frank, you're in control. Hey, Take hey. it over. You're the
3: commander. Hey, have hey, a great thanks, week. Thanks, Frank. God
1: bless. God.
7: Hey Don, I still got twenty more minutes until I get home. If you want to call me,
1: <laughs> I don't have a phone.
2: Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful for appreciation. The men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women police and fire services, the men and women doctors and nurses at the hospitals that keep us self healthy during this COVID season, and also there's wonderful people to clean up for it. Uh, these programs are also dedicated to those who've lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Je- <coughs> <coughs> Jeffrey Colcap, <coughs> Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowicz, Patrolman David Curtis, Sergeant Thomas uh, Batinger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Shaw County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Charlie Connick, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia, Fire, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Chris LeVake, Philadelphia County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Arnolfo Crispin, Lakeland, DV. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourne, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artis, Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hovigold, Longview Police Department. And Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, of you may be 10-7 at this point in time. Sometime we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hands. Good night. God bless and have a great week. <laughs>
6: That's when again, my age. So... I- i